0: Welcome to Life After Business, the podcast that helps you understand what your company is worth and what your exit options are. Host Ryan Tansom and his guests give you all the information you need to get clarity and control over your business, build a valuable company to be proud of, and exit on your terms. Welcome back and thanks for tuning in. This is the Life After Business podcast, episode 164. My guest today is Hannah Paramore. She's the founder of of Paramore Digital, which is a digital agency before really the internet even took off. And she had it for 17 years. She tells all the stories about how she started it, how she grew it, what ended up happening when there was a triggering event that led her to eventually selling, and then how she's been processing it afterwards. Some of the things that you're going to learn in here is what you can do before you hit burnout because the buyer was a strategic buyer and it came around right as she was in the most amount of hurt and the most amount of burnout from losing some big customers, from just really being sour on the people when she said to herself and she was talking to me about she couldn't wait for Monday for decades and then all of a sudden it became like this news and we talk about what that's like as an entrepreneur and we have an awesome dialogue of all the things that you could be doing right now to prepare yourself so when that news comes that you actually have choices and options couple of the big takeaways that you're going to have from this episode is if you're the CEO losing confidence about the business, then it becomes extremely difficult to go in every single Monday because your company is potentially relying on you and your enthusiasm so much. So as you're building a team, how do you separate yourself emotionally from your business so you can see it like an asset? How to leverage CEO peer groups to be able to have the dialogue about all these different things? And then her big question was, What should I do with what I've built? The whole point is really it boils down to the five principles and understanding what game you're playing. So that way you can actually reward yourself and have options when this emotional situation happens. Quote unquote from Hannah, she says, for me, it was too late by that time to plan and understand how to decouple herself from the business. If she would have planned ahead, she would have had the options. If you want to answer that question, what should you do with what you've built Check out our boot camps. There's one coming up in October on the 8th, 9th, and 10th in Minneapolis, Minnesota. Dayton, Ohio on the 12th, 13th, and 14th of November. And then again in Minneapolis on December 3rd, 4th, and 5th. And again in Dayton, Ohio on January 21st, 22nd, and 23rd. Two and a half day crash course on the five principles on how to grow, exit your company, Understand your current valuation, what valuation do you want to march towards, the difference between ESOPs, private equity, third-party family transitions, and then how to hire a team of advisors to optimize the tax plan, the deal structure, and everything afterwards totally a home run. Everything that I wish I would have known and all the podcast guests wish they would have known before they went down this entire journey. Check it out. It's on arcona.io. Reach out to me if you want to have a quick conversation over the two and a half day agenda. You're not sharing any confidential information. It's all about two case studies that you walk you through so you can ask all the questions that you wish you would know answers to. So without further ado, here's my episode with Hannah. Sponsored by Arcona's Growth and Exit Boot Camps. Three days jam packed with material on the five growth and exit principles and the world of mergers and acquisitions. You'll walk away knowing exactly what steps to take to get your target valuation and your best exit option. Three days at Arcona's Boot Camp will give you the clarity to control the rest of the journey. Hannah, how are you doing today?
1: I'm doing great, Ryan.
0: I am super excited to have you in the show because we have one of my favorite heroes that gave us the introduction, Sherry Deutschman out of Nashville. I met her a couple of years ago at e y She's got one of the most amazing stories about her I mean how she shared it with her employees and what she'd gone through and what she'd built, and the fact that you guys are good friends just means a lot. so i'm like I'm excited. oh
1: yeah she's she's one of my favorite heroes too, for sure.
0: Yeah. So hopefully we can both hold up to her, uh, her introduction here. <laughs> so, um, mm-hmm. you know, we, it was pretty cool. Cause you just wrote in uh, a, written a very nice article on LinkedIn that pretty much summarizes what I think we're going to be getting into today. So you've, I can tell that you've been processing your exit, um, over, over the last few, few years. And so, you know, Anna, maybe just, I'd like to start with our guests or is for the listeners, like, how did you, was it an accident that you became an entrepreneur? How did you decide to start your company and kind of how, did, like, where did that really, where did it really come from?
1: Sure. Thanks for asking. So I thought that I was unique um, because I did not start my business on purpose. I, it was quite accidental. But then over the years, I found out that that's not very unique. I mean, a lot of entrepreneurs kind of happen into their business, you know, after either doing something they really love or doing something they really hate. <laughs> and for yeah. me, you know, I had soul sucking jobs for the first I don't know twenty years that I was working almost, and um, fortunately got rescued by the dot com era in the late nineties and recruited into an early stage dot com that was very successful. It had venture capital money. It's called citysearch.com dot com. So I got to work on one of the beta markets, which was Nashville, my hometown, and uh, it was a wonderful time. I. I It didn't matter that I didn't have a degree of any kind from college, Um, and it didn't matter that the time that I was in college, i spent studying classical piano, and it didn't matter that I'd never had a business course or marketing class because nobody knew anything about digital. It was totally (laughs) a level playing field, you know? So um, somehow, I understood that company very organically from the beginning, and I got the position that was very visible in the marketplace. I was the marketing director, so... That's how I learned it, and um, we had a good three years before going public and being bought by Ticketmaster first and then going public, and, and then my only choices were to, to, if I was going to stay with the company, was to move to a major market, but I was single, and I had teenagers at the time, and I just could not do it, so I worked through um, two years of just like continuously losing my job because the, the dot-com bubble burst right. right after I left City Search. And even though I could get a job in Nashville, um, you couldn't keep jobs because companies just were going out of business like crazy. Um, That happened four times in two years. Yeah, so the good thing was that every time I changed jobs, I made $20,000 more. So (laughs) it was the weirdest time, because I'd be like, great, I just lost my job again. (laughs) It means I'm gonna get a raise. You know,
0: so even though like, the company was, was going out of business, you would then go somewhere else and get a drink.
1: <laughs> Make more money. <laughs> Not a
0: bad strategy. It
1: was, <laughs> it was really odd, you know. So by the time I, I really realized I had I was had lost my mind after the fourth time, and I sort of looked around and thought, wait a minute, I am the only breadwinner in the family. <laughs> you know, so why would I risk uh, my career when the only people who were calling me by that time we 27 27-year-olds with a great idea, and they should all be working for me, you know. So I decided to just take a contract. It was actually a contract that I had pitched with my last job, and then the job, then the company, they accepted, and then the company went under. So I was like, well, I could do this. I can do this little project. It's just a small website. And um, that's how I got started. And after, I don't know, a handful of months, um, one of my clients said to me, because then I started getting contracts crazy, like, I, right, I got six contracts in two weeks, and Totally replaced my um, highest salary I'd ever had in a job. Oh, wow. And then um, after a few months, one of my clients said, you know, you're going to need some help. I mean, you're going to be successful. You're going to need some help. And he made a recommendation of somebody I should hire part-time, and I did. And then eventually I hired a designer and a developer, and you can't just have one, so then you have to get an office, you know. So that's how it started. But I I literally was probably six. It's probably six years before I really realized I had started a company. And that what happened that day when I realized it was that I had to sign a lease on a copier machine. <laughs> was, no. yes. So we had, I mean, we had an office. I had signed a lease on an office. I don't know why that wasn't my cue that I had a business, but it was the copier machine that made me feel <laughs> like I had a real company. That's I, I don't really get that, but <laughs> because, that's because true. that was
0: my old industry, we may we probably forced you to sign some five year death clause of, of canceling the copier contract.
1: <laughs> yeah, I think it, I think the copier contract sort of feels like it is. It's like Hotel California. <laughs> like you can check out any time you like, but you can never leave. <laughs>
0: Oh, that's super funny. Uh, what, what kind of what kind of work were you doing? Were you guys doing actually like web dev, like building websites, or were you doing like design?
1: Yeah. Okay. Yeah, we were we were building websites. We were designing them and building them, and then we would run, run media campaigns. Because you got to remember, this was like 2002 when I started, so that was before the um, iPhone. Answers. It was before yeah. before Google had really had a revenue stream. It was before Facebook was. Open to anybody, you know, anybody outside of college students. It was before email service providers were, uh, you know, available to everybody. It was just, it was before everything. Mm-hmm. So, so for those first several years, you know, we got to try a lot of things for our clients, and and we like, we used to laugh about the fact that for years, every time I sold something, we had actually never done it before.
0: <laughs> like the three M model. Where's our revenue coming from? We're not sure yet.
1: <laughs> we're not sure yet. Exactly. So that was it was sort of a joke because I would come back and I would say to the staff, I'd say, Hey, we're gonna do such and such and they would all like look at me like with big eyes, as if I had shown this big spotlight in their face. You know, they were like, What? we never done that. I was like, Oh, that was easy. You know, we can do it. And um and we did, you know, I mean and 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 also for the first several years, every time we ran a digital media campaign of any kind for our clients. It was the first time they had ever
0: done it. Oh, that's crazy. So, I, I mean, how, yeah. the, what was it like during that time before you sent the copy release? Like the, uh, <laughs> you know, the, were you juggling cash flow? I mean, like, and just, cause I think there's this big, you know, and I don't know where in your journey where, you know, the, 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 the owners got a job, you know, and you're in your sense of just living off the float, mm-hmm. in the paycheck versus like, okay, you're hiring, you're building infrastructure. I mean, like, What was it like, and then how did you how was how did that line up in your timeline?
1: It was perfect because we never had a cash flow problem. We were we were we had cash flow from the beginning. We had profit from the beginning. We I didn't really have to look at my financials very much for the first five years or so, and I know that that's unreasonable for most people because there's a lot of small companies that I know now who are really struggling with that. But back then, for some reason, it wasn't a problem, and we were growing. I mean, we were. It was first me, and then after about a year or two, there were three of us, and then the next year there were six, and the next year there were 12. We literally were doubling, you know, almost every year. And um, Interesting.
0: So how big were you when It was guys, crazy. How big were you guys when you actually signed the copier contract?
1: Uh, we probably had 15. Probably okay. had 15 people.
0: So what was the – as you were growing and doubling, I mean, was, was it – what was your overall – thought and perception of, cause you know, in your, in your article, you're talking about like head down versus looking up and you're kind of, you know, mm-hmm. like what was the thing that you were chasing? I mean, was it just like, was it new project? Was it new shiny things? Like, was there like some bigger thing that you were marching towards? And like, and how did that change when you started to look at your, like the fact you had a company?
1: Yeah. So there was never something bigger that I was chasing. I was just, we were, there was so much opportunity in the marketplace, literally so much opportunity. We were just one meeting to the next. We closed almost everything we sold. Um, <laughs> there just, there weren't, there weren't very many of us out here at that time, 2002, 2003. I don't even mm-hmm. think we knew that we were a digital agency because I had never worked for an agency before. So I didn't know what the agency model was. And, and, um, and, you know, there, there was not a delineation between development shops and agencies and creative shops as much in digital as there was yeah. in traditional advertising, you know, because it was all just emerging when you're working for an emerging industry like that. Nobody knows what they really are. And so nobody knows what they aren't also. Yep. Nope. Yeah. You know, so that's a really good quote right there. Oh, it's,
0: so, <laughs> right. So
1: so anyway, I was just, my what my thought was, was that I was not afraid. I was never afraid because there was so much business. I mean, we were just in such high demand. So I think that's good. And I also think that the, there's always a flip side to everything. So I think the flip side of that is that maybe you don't grow as intentionally, you know, and maybe it kept me so busy that I didn't pay attention to what I was building and really think, is this what I want to build or not? And what could, could I build something that's either more marketable when I'm ready to exit or that gives me more choices when I'm ready to exit rather than just sell or close.
0: Mm-hmm. So like, was there, was there a time or a place or like a specific event? You know, that Like as you are growing, I mean, I mean, I can only imagine how fun that'd be to close everything that you came across because <laughs> like I mm-hmm. I I'd, I'd enjoy that problem. And it's so funny because when I started in the family business, that's kind of how the copiers were back around the same time. And then all of a sudden, you know, like it changes. It, was there something that, a time, place, or event where like it became less fun or like how like that you started looking at something differently? Cause you as you're going. Oh, definitely That yeah. sounds like a yeah. absolute lot of lot of fun. It sounds like a blast. So how did things shift?
1: Yeah. Of course. And that, this is actually what I'm writing a book about. So I am writing about why you sell a company that you started and that you love. It's not the how-to because there's a whole lot of how-to books. So I'm writing about what happens to you in the process of business ownership that makes you ready to sell it. And it's painful. You know, it's just I, my, my um, premise is that you become ready to sell your business because business ownership is a series of losses. So while you're gaining all the time, you know, you're cash flow positive, you're making money, you've got good relationships, you're putting good product in, out there, you also are are losing. Uh, if you build a company right, the CEO is continually shedding responsibility. And a lot of the responsibility that you shed is stuff that you really enjoy doing. And then, but you have to shed it in order to, to grow a leadership team so that you can have a sustainable company. But then you start to lose your best employees because competition is rampant. And especially in our space, they can go anywhere because when we started, nobody knew what digital was. Well, so when I sold it, everybody needed our digital talent. Mm-hmm. And so the competition isn't just coming from other agencies. It's coming from every business that's out there. Every business needs a developer. Everybody, yeah. every business needs people who understand social. So the the competition's huge. So you start losing your people and then you start losing your clients and you realize that good work and honest ethical behavior and great results are not enough to keep the client. Yeah, that's, I mean,
0: it's a, it's a true, I mean, it's in the hyper competitive world today. I mean, I see that in every single customer and client or anybody that I work with. I mean, it's, it's intense. competition out there. So when you, when you, when you're talking about it, I, I like how you use the word shed and I really did like, cause you know, you said it's a series of stages. So where were you when you decided like, or when you, when you experienced that, that your, your relationship with your business was different. Cause it's, I I just see this so much, so many times where like, you know, and I, I, I don't know if you talk about this in your book, but like the, the intertwined, how inter inner integrated intertwined your personality is in identity. Yeah and your personal finance, I actually had a guy that he said that it's like, it's a surgical maneuver to remove your company from you. <laughs> and I'm like, it
1: really it. is. I <laughs> totally agree with that. So where was I when I realized I was ready?
0: Or like when, you, the when, you, when you looked at your business different, cause like I've, I've tried to like, mm-hmm. I've tried to pinpoint this as I, you know, right before you and I got on the show that I was trying to, yeah, you know, as we're marketing our services and trying to like, essentially wave the flag and say, Hey, everybody think about this before, emotionally and financially it's like but Mm -hmm. i'm not ready i'm not ready i'm not ready. i'm like well you know it's on someone that's unhealthy quit smoking or quit being obese even though like they're headed straight for the the cancer train you know what i mean but you're trying to save Mm -hmm. them not listening and so like i kind of call it like so i guess what i'm asking is when you're kind of going through that realization phase or like you're going from two-dimensional thinking to three dimensional. What triggered that for you to say, okay, I get this, and it's a little bit different than yeah. I was before?
1: It was a very specific event. We, um, although there's a lot of smaller events that lead up to this, the pain and the loss that I just mentioned, and just the continual churn of clients and um, employees. It will wear you out. It will just wear you out. The clients' and employees' demands, especially the employees' demands, will just wear you out. But this one specific event happened that really changed me um, and, and then it happened again a year later. We moved into a really great office downtown um, at November 1st of 2013. We had had a good office before, not very far away, but we had outgrown it. We'd gone through this process of of building out this office, just absolutely brand consistent, beautiful place. It's on the corner, uh, the most important corner downtown. And my name is at the top of the building in lights. And um, it was a huge move for us. And the very day that we moved in, I got the phone call from our largest client that we were losing them.
2: Oh no, oh my
1: gosh. Now we were not supposed to lose them. They were in a a mandated RFP. It was a government entity. Uh, And we had been told that we were safe. So we were completely blindsided. And then one year later, it happened again with a client that was at that time our biggest client. Now granted, the first time We had had that client for seven years and the second client we had had for five years. But in both cases, we had been asked to gear up to take on more work, but ended up losing everything. And so that will drive you mad right there. (laughs) No kidding. What percentage
0: of revenue were both those clients at the time?
1: Um, The first one was probably, um, 18 to 20%. We never had a client concentration problem, so we never had anybody over 20%. So I can't tell you for sure, but it was probably in the 18 to 20% range and the same the second time. So you're talking about losing about half of your revenue in a two-year period.
0: Did you just like- In a
1: one-year period, actually.
0: Right. Did you just immediately look at that sign that had your name on it and like think about all the staffing and just like run through- I did. Yeah. you're like, oh my
1: God. So somebody asked me uh, one time after that, after that sign was on the building and before all of this happened, somebody asked me, I said, do you ever sit here and look at that sign and feel like boy, I really made it? And I said, no, I look at that sign. And I think the sign itself costs $26,000 and I have a two and a half million dollar operating budget and 30 people who work for me. And I just, you know, with clients who don't sign long-term contracts with you. Mm-hmm. So this is the biggest problem with small business. And that's not just agency business. I think it's the it's this way in many many maybe all businesses is that the small business owner is expected to build a business with an entire infrastructure that will support um, their client's wildest dreams, and the client doesn't make a commitment back to the agency.
0: Yeah, yeah, it's it's you know so yeah, I get it.
1: So you realize when you lose those clients and you lose those employees, especially the key employees, but any employee almost that you are the only person in the whole ecosystem that you've set up. You're the only person who is committed hmm. and that hurts Yeah, because while that. clients, um, clients, you know, to stay with you are rare, good, good clients who stay with you are even more rare and employees, you know, they are, especially in my industry, they're in a very transitional time in their lives. These are for many of them. It was, it was their first or second job. Mo- many of them their first job out of college. And so you shouldn't expect them to stay. And yet, you know, you do a lot to try to help them grow and enable them and they do good work for you. And then um, you realize that they aren't, go- they're all going to leave. They're all going to leave. So sure. they have no commitment to you and your clients don't have any commitment to you. And yet you have committed, you know, your personal finances, your name, all of your time, too much of your time, you know, to build a business that you're the only person that's committed to.
0: What, and, and it hurts. I was going to say, and like, what did you do and where were you when you felt, I mean, I've been there, like, you feel like super alone. I mean, yeah. how did, and what so, turned what you turn to and how'd you deal with it?
1: Well, so I was in my office. I, it really physically made me sick, maybe just, it just hurt me, hurt my body. The next day, I called a meeting of all the, the leadership team, um, but maybe six people. Two of them were out of state, so they were on a conference call with me right before it. I took an Ambien instead of a Xanax, and I didn't know it. Oh, no. Oh, no. <laughs> and the next three hours were downright comical. Um, although I don't remember very much about him at all and I didn't figure it out until the next day. So that's actually how the book starts. I took an Ambien in the office one day, not on purpose. I meant to take a Xanax. That's the opening line of the book.
0: I I mean, what happened? (laughs) Oh my God.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Well, they actually said that I stayed in it. You know, I was on, on point. I was, you know, I was focused and, um, And then I came home. I went to dinner with my boyfriend at the time and his two Catholic priest uncles and his mother. We had a great dinner. I had two glasses of wine. I came home and took another Ambien and I slept the sleep of the dead. I mean, the next morning I woke up and I was so rested. I was just so rested. And then I picked up my phone and I had a voicemail from one man that said, Hannah, I'm just calling to see if you're okay after yesterday. And then I got on email. I was like, I don't why is he calling me? I got on email, and checked email. And my mentor was like, uh, hey, buddy, I'm just checking in on you. I was a little worried about you yesterday. And then this time, I'm like, what are they talking about? You know?
2: I'm fine. So I'm fine. Well,
1: I'm, I'm good. I'm all good, you know? And uh, I sat down to do some work and I reached back into my purse to get a pen out of my purse and pulled out the prescription bag for Xanax that was stapled shut. And I was like, Wait a minute! Oh my gosh! How can that be stapled shut? I took one yesterday, and that's how I figured it out. I put of all the of and counted the pills. <laughs> Thank God I'm off of andy now. I just got off of it like a month ago, so I was on it for seventeen years. Oh my gosh! Is it?
0: And was that to help with all the chaos in the business and like just oh yeah, smooth out all the stuff that's yeah. going on. Yeah. yeah,
1: because, I mean, you know, I didn't take Xanax for 17 years. I took Ambien for 17 years. Yeah. But, uh, yeah, I couldn't sleep. You know, you, you lay down at night and everything um, settles down around you and your mind just won't stop. So even when things are good, the energy, you know, which is just another form of stress, or maybe stress is just another form of energy, I don't know, but there's so much of it. You have so much of it that you just can't stop your mind. And um, I just I couldn't sleep.
0: So. so what did you learn after that that event then like what was what what kind of precipitated after that well,
1: What was happened next was um I had I had met a guy in my Vistage round table group who had heard me whine about you know, about the business because truly I mean I guess the other thing that was going on was that I was personally growing tired of the business you know by that time it had been almost 14 years and one of the things that I've observed over this 14 years is that we kept solving the same problems over and over again for different clients. And, you know, you could only do that for so long without just going, you know, I don't want to do this anymore. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I, I feel like everybody, everybody has their limits. You know, everybody has their limit of talent, their limit of uh, patience, and also everybody... You know, has a, a need for change, and I was reaching that, and and I could t- I could just tell that I wasn't as in as enthusiastic about the, the business as I had been. I was close to say I'm almost sixty now, so I was you know in my mid fifties, and I was thinking I was thinking about money differently. I was thinking about investment in the business differently. I was um, more in touch with the risks of a business, and so. I wasn't so willing to continue to back the financing that it required, Mm -hmm. or to commit you know big salaries to people who I knew would be there eighteen months and then they'd be gone. It's just that the realities of the churn in the business made me feel differently about my level of commitment to the business. And um, so when I met this guy in um, Vistage Roundtable Group, he knew of an agency that had been looking for our skill set to either build it personal, you know, internally, which most traditional agencies are not good at that. Most of them fail at it a number of times because they can't keep the talent either. So the talent's most likely more willing to stay in digital, in a pure play digital agency than they are as just a little subset of a traditional agency. Mm-hmm. But they still don't stay very long. So anyway, he knew this man who had started the traditional agency and was also leaving the agency through a management buyout. And he said, they need what you have. And I know it because he talks to me about it all the time. So he introduced us. He That man brought in the new president and CEO of, of the company. And she and I met a couple of months later. And then we were kind of off to the races. So the opportunity came up, you know, right at the time that I was dealing with the most pain and the most disappointment in the business.
0: Well, and I want to unpack that for a second, Hannah, because like, you know, Well, before maybe we go down that route, um, you had mentioned in your article that you had talked to your attorney a couple of times, like there was, it was there a couple in that whole kind of time sequence, like there was a couple other things that not only just the burnout from the business and all the the churn, but was there, you know, maybe explain a little bit about these conversations that started to look, help you business differently.
1: Sure. Um, yeah, that was about the time that we moved into the new office and, um, and it was a burning question because I had been an EO, you know, entrepreneurs organization mm-hmm. for seven or eight years, and then I was in Vistage for um, a year or so. And that question, uh, there's a lot of pressure on the owner of a business to know what your exit plan is. If you're in any kind of um, mentorship group, that's what they talk about most of the time. It's what's your exit strategy, and I'd be like, I don't have one. I love my business, you know. And then, you know, other business owners talk about golden handcuffs and you know, ensuring the ongoing operations of the business if something happens to you. And, you know, I just sort of set out to get the answers to those questions. And I was thinking, you know, what should I do next? I have a good leadership team. You know, we've got this beautiful office space. We've been in business by that time about 12 years. But a great name. And, you know, we had mostly good client relationships, um, even the ones we lost. And so I was like, this is what something I need to focus on. So the box I haven't checked is, you know, what is the retention plan? What is the... Actually, what is the succession plan? What, what do I need to do to protect the business? And that's why I called my attorney, uh, Tommy, and um, asked him to come over and talk to me about that. And then he had this absolutely game-changing conversation with me. I mean, absolutely a game-changer for me.
0: What was uh, the substance of the conversation?
1: Well, I had brought him there to talk about succession planning. And then he started off the conversation by saying, let me just ask one question. Why would you want to do anything at all? And I thought that was a crazy question. It's like, are you an attorney? are you know? Don't you know anything? And um, and I said, well, obviously, you know, if something happens to me, I want the the business to be able to continue. I want the business to have enough money to reorganize and take care of the clients and you know, kind of get their act together and uh, so that it can survive. And he goes, why? You're dead. And I literally leaned forward and said to him, <laughs> Tell me more about that.
2: Death or the situation. <laughs> <laughs>
1: like, tell me more. And he said, "You know, I don't want to insult you. You built a nice business, but quite frankly, it's not Cypress Foundation. It's not Ingram Industries. Those are two very big." Families here who have really put a lot of money into national and big important companies. said so it's not it's not that kind of company. So what would happen if something happened to you is that your clients would find a new agency within a couple of weeks, and all of your employees would find a job sooner than that. So what you really want to think about is what you want to do for your family. And I was like, no, we got, that's all taken care of. They said, okay, well then maybe a nonprofit. Or maybe you just want to think about how you want to spend the last third of your life. And I had never disconnected myself from the business like I did in that moment because I thought the business is successful. It's my responsibility to keep the business going. And I had never disconnected from it enough to look at it as an asset that I had built that I could do with what I wanted to. You know, it very much defined me. And, um, it had given me a platform in the city it, where I had some of the most fun of my life. You know, it was, it's just fun to create something. And it's more fun to create something that's successful. So I had never separated myself from it at all until that conversation. And that was the start of it. Why? And so he, I said, thank you very much. You know?
0: <laughs> yeah. Why do you think, Hannah, that most owners are like that and don't think about it like that?
1: Uh, it might be the type of person that actually is willing to take on business ownership. It might not be that the business does it to them. It might be that that's just who they are. You know, so one of our core values at Paramore was um, personal responsibility. That was the most defining personal res- uh, core value in the company. If you didn't have personal responsibility, you just didn't work out very well there. And it's surprising, but there, there's a lot of people out there who don't. And so I think that, you know, if you don't have that as a business owner, then you're not willing to risk everything that you have to risk. And I don't just mean money. Mm -hmm. I mean that you risk all of your relationships because you spend so much time on the business. Mm -hmm. You know, you put aside hobbies and anything else that you want to do. You don't even think about those things anymore because, (laughs) you know, because you don't have time to think about them anymore. And so you have this high level of personal responsibility to the business. And, um... I think that that is a probably a common trait among entrepreneurs.
0: Well, and it's interesting too. I, I I agree with you, and there's you know more and more studies out there with that, which it's just it, like because that's what we went through, right? I mean, you're not thinking about selling until all of a sudden you've it's done, <laughs> and you're like okay. Mm-hmm. And and you know, and I think about like with all my experience now in the last five years with private equity and all these, like I mean, these are institutional, They, they get value and like asset creation, value creation, which is just totally looking at companies differently. And you know you, you have this identity that's tied into the company, and to be able to like like as you're working yourself out of the business, like you keep saying shedding, like to somehow mm-hmm. gotta be a way to like interject this into a like so there's like there's a book called Halftime Institute where you have like this you know the the overlapping S curve where you can actually like figure this stuff out without having to make dramatic changes you know what i mean Where are like you know it's not after you've sold or it's not after you've gotten burnt burnout because i i see it very similar and it kind of goes back to when you you described that the process of the opportunity came right when you're the most burnt out i interviewed a guy and he's and he's successful entrepreneur he goes it's all of a sudden you wake up one day and you go from loving it to you feel like there's a noose around your neck and then that
1: absolutely like, I, yeah <laughs> And that's exactly the way I felt. I, was, I mean, I had, I, for years, I couldn't wait for Monday morning to get here. I mean, I would, we had Monday morning production meeting, and we started off with, with gospel music. I'd shake everybody's hand when they came in the door and thank them for coming, all, my client, all of my employees. You know, and we ran it like a radio remote, a cheer session. It was just great, and we got the, the week kicked off. I hated the minor holidays. I didn't even like Christmas very much. I didn't didn't like the major holidays because I'm like, why do do you need three days? Why do you need three days? (laughs) Because we've got work to do. I couldn't understand it. I just couldn't. And then all of a sudden, it was hard for me to get in there. And I just, every time we would hire somebody, and I loved the staff. I really did love the staff for so long. And then it got to the place where I would look at them and I'd be like, hmm, you're a 12-monther. Yeah, maybe you're 18, but that one over there, she's six months and she's out, you know? Mm -hmm. And so you stop investing emotionally in your staff when you realize that you're going to lose them. And even in the clients, it's the same thing. You, you know, you start off, you get jaded. I mean, you just get jaded and then you lose your energy. And I really began to feel like I was the limiting factor in my business at the end Mm -hmm. because I was, I didn't have what I had had for that company. And that somebody could leave that company out of the situation we were in, having just lost two big clients, but just didn't feel like it was me.
0: It's uh, it's so crazy too, because like I, I think going back to your point about like it's a typical, or it's the type of person that starts a business that they don't think about this ahead of time a little bit. Where like, you know, you're, you know, when you're an entrepreneur, because I'm. Twice over, right? In the family business, I'm doing it now, right? I'll tell you what, I'll, I'll take mm-hmm. a cash flow stream versus a, a startup all day long. I mean, consulting is in what we've been building is probably harder, but the you know you put everything in there, but then all of a sudden, you know the the ability to disconnect and like to look at it differently, I think is just. Trying to think, of, I'm going to loop that back around. Is it's just so challenging because you do what you want and you take crazy risks to do what you want and have control. Mm-hmm. Like you're like, screw, mm-hmm. mortgage the house. It's like I'd rather do that than work for someone. I mean, I, I lasted our at our buyer for two months. <laughs> it's just like, and uh-huh. now I can't do it. And like, and that ticket to that point. Is so then all of a sudden, like, if someone said, Hey, you know, Hannah, what is, what's your plan? What's your plan? It's like, Well, this is my plan. But then all of a sudden, when you have that emotional discomfort it's like i gotta pivot mm-hmm. and at that point you know kind of this kind of loops back to your specific uh your sp- specific um tipping point where it could be potentially in your biggest point of pain and hurt which is directly correlated to the value of your company too
1: and it's yeah, it, yeah. definitely yeah so it's uh, just a hard 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 time well and like what well, is there anything that like
0: you like someone could have done to you to help you shake you out of that, to say okay, well, there's time. There's a way to like make the and to view this as an asset with while it's still yours, or is it just is it too difficult because there's so much personal you know involvement in it for the the 16 years whatever that you owned it.
1: Yeah, I, you know, I think for me it was too late. I, I feel like though that if I had known a few things about maybe six or eight years earlier that. I could have set it up so that that wasn't my only option, so that I could have cut back the time that I spent on the business, maybe moved to a chairman role and been available, but not, and still have a residual income, you know, from the company for years. I, I feel like I could have done that if I had made a couple of big decisions a few years earlier. But I think the time was past for me to take on an equity partner, you know, or, or re. Financially restructured. I mean, there was nothing wrong with the financial structure of the business. We were still making money. We just weren't making as much, and I didn't have the heart for it anymore. I just think it was probably too late for me.
0: So, walk us through the what, like, what happened in the with that the first meeting, like, and the kind of okay. the wholesale process. Like, what was the so you you know your visage I don't know if it was a chair member met you know introduced you, and now you're you said you're off. Mm-hmm. Races. So, what, what 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 did the races look like?
1: Yeah, so uh, we met and um, started talking about a ways to help each other grow our businesses, and you know, they needed the talent that we had. We had also wanted to broaden our talents into more traditional, so it looked like it was a you know good opportunity to do that. And we started off with a strategic partnership. And we uh, did, did a little bit of work together, but it was not long, just a matter of months before we both knew that to do anything significant, they were going to have to buy it. Mm-hmm. There's just issues with agencies partnering. You just don't get the best out of a partnership, you know. Yeah, you're like uh, in the, the agency reference. environment.
0: Yeah, same thing. With a lot yeah, of yeah, you like, Yeah, you're trying to chase it yeah. down. Do the same. Do the same level of quality that you would have, and all that kind of stuff. And it's just right. Yeah, you're chasing each other. What's
1: not going to happen? Yeah,
0: yeah. yeah.
1: What, did You have. So, like, then it any, went fast.
0: Did Did you know like what the company was worth? You know, was there industry standards? Did you have any kind of understanding of? How much dollar? How much? How much money was you going to go into your bank account? What the like the company was worth? How to do any of that stuff, or did it just they, they call it the deal train? Did the deal train take off, and you were learning on the fly?
1: No, I had done some work over the previous couple of years after that conversation with my attorney, which happened about a year and a half before, and a little bit before it was several years before we had been approached by somebody out of Atlanta, and that's when I and it didn't work out, and um, that's when I learned what the conversations would be like, and I knew that there was a formula. So you know, we would get. Con- I think I think all of the um, the mergers and acquisitions companies. I think they have the same database on the same timing because every three months I'd get the same phone calls from three or four different private equity companies, you know, <laughs> saying we've got a buyer for your business in your area and and call us. And so then we would go through the same conversation. I learned the conversations. What you know? Here's what my revenue is. What's what's the likelihood of getting this deal done? Because I knew that. You know, unless you had senior or national level clients and a certain amount of revenue, then the deal price wasn't wouldn't be big enough to make it worth it. Right? Did you, did you so know it had to be a strategic buyer?
0: I got it. Okay, that was what I was going to ask. So like, because the difference, like a lot of people, and I just did a, an interview about this, like strategic versus, versus financial, the differences, I mean, my story kind of um as one of the examples too like it's completely different sometimes it's not even based on that cash flow number it's, it's strategic synergies so you had already run the yeah. kind of comparison like which is why you weren't picking up those phone calls
1: yeah for sure i mean it wasn't worth it to me so um and those deals don't get done i mean those are blind cult calls you know they just don't get done but these folks were really uh interested they were true to their word they um You know, we walked through the deal process together. I did not hire a broker to to do it for me. We negotiated together. And, um, you know, I think it was, I think it ended up being good for both parties. We actually, by the time we uh, closed the deal, we, you know, we did our due diligence and closed it. By the time, I'm sorry, by the time we signed the letter of intent, we did our due diligence and we closed it 60 days later. No kidding. No kidding.
0: I mean, did you have... Like an M and attorney or CPA or anybody sitting next to you that was kind of helping you, or was it just you knew the business so well and you're just like, let's get this done, or like how? I mean, that's it's. No, I
1: did have a team. I had I had an attorney and I had a CPA, and they were extremely helpful, you know, through the process. But you know, but I, I mean, I had the direct conversations with the buyer. It wasn't, it wasn't like we were being, we weren't represented by somebody else.
0: Do you do you have any regrets about not? having a formal process and getting other buyers involved?
1: You know, I do think that the auction kind of idea, you know, or Mm -hmm. offering memorandum kind of idea where you create more demand for your company. I mean, obviously that feels like it would be a good idea. I don't know in my space whether it was really possible to do that or not. And I, I really wasn't willing to risk the time that it takes to get through that process without there being a real buyer already there. You know, so in my case, it worked out probably in the best way possible that, you know, I didn't have to go through the what ifs of putting it out to market and see if anybody bites. What was it like for you at closing? It was one of the hardest days of my life. How come? It really, really was. I almost pulled the plug twice.
0: Really? What?
1: yeah. Well, just that the pain of having to, I think that you don't know what's on the other side of that announcement. You, know, you don't know how people are going to respond to you. You have to tell your staff. It's hard to tell your staff. Even though there was exciting news in it also, I knew that they were going to feel a loss. And you don't know what's going to happen on the other side, and you're not in control. And you as the owner have been in control for all of those years. But after you, you let that out, you're no longer in control. And that is such a big fear. What, what do you think Define control for you? I think control for me, control for me was deciding what kind of company we were going to be, whether we were going to let something become a big deal, or really bother us, or be able to manage through it. I think it was being able to make quick decisions and live up to our word, you know, almost no matter what. And we had to do that a number of times. I mean, there were many times that we did not make money on a deal, but we delivered what we said we would deliver. And that is not something that you can do when you don't own the company. But I could make those decisions that were values-based decisions. And I'm not saying that my owner is not values-based because they definitely are. I'm not saying that. But what I'm saying is that small companies move fast. And because we move fast, we do so much business in such compressed amounts of time. And you make decisions because of a set of core values that you have established and trained through your company. And so decision-making comes fast and you don't have layers to work through. You don't have to get permission. You can just do the right thing. And you don't know what's going to happen to that, you know, when you become a part of something else. All of a sudden, there's a whole bunch of other people to consider, you know. There's a different brand and a different um, set of sensibilities and a different set of of sensitivities. And and all those things you're stepping into that you haven't had to deal with for years.
0: What was it like for you, I mean, after closing and having that integration process?
1: Well, it was hard. I mean, you don't know where 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 to stop as the person who owns the business started the business Ran the you know called the shot. You don't know where to stop with your input, with um your work. You know, it's just a you're an employee then, and you're not necessarily in the decision making seat anymore. So you know, it's tough to figure out what to do with your time and how to communicate. And always think that more is going to be expected, and because you're used to that. So you're just like being in a foreign country. You
0: know, it's a really good way to to put it. What I called it um phantom anxiety it's, it's like what am i supposed to be dealing, doing right now
1: <laughs> exactly the indignities they suffer so many indignities on you as the pre- and and i don't understand that it's the thing that i think really is the most baffling of the whole scenario is that they don't want you when they're done even though you owned it and built it and and everything is about you
0: it's, yeah you know so after after you closed what, what was it like with the integration as you were all those things that you discussed from control to your baby, your decisions, your clients, all it's, what was it like after you started handing off the reins to someone else?
1: Yeah. Well, it was personally, it's painful and confusing. I mean, you don't really know. You've never been, even been in this situation before. So it's hard to know where your responsibilities or to relearn where your responsibilities stop. stop. That's a tough thing to learn. Um, you know, it, it gets better in time.
0: And I lasted 60 days. Like I said, I mean, like, (laughs) yeah. I I mean, and it's, you know, when's the last time before that, then you had had to work within constraints and in a box. I mean, that's the problem with most. Oh my
1: God. (laughs) Yeah. It had probably literally probably been 20 years. (laughs) <laughs> because, because the five years I was in digital before I started my agency, you know, it was pretty free freewheeling and I was in good positions. Yeah. So I hadn't thought about that, but it had probably been 20 years.
0: Yeah. And I this is called a PTO request form. Can you please do this in your expenses? Like-
1: right. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. And, uh, and the expense process and, you know, <laughs> you know, wanting me to, I don't know, all the receipts and I couldn't take people to lunch and, you know, it was just so bizarre. <laughs> and you just well, haven't been in that situation for a long time. So,
0: What it, what was it like as you were rebuilding your identity? I mean, I know it's still fresh. So I don't know if you're like still doing stuff. I mean, cause this is like Bo Burlingham. I don't know if you've read his book called finish big. Um, it's a fantastic book. Mm-hmm. I, I read it after we sold too. So you're going to probably think about it and go, oh, yep. <laughs> but it's about like, <laughs> What do owners want? Who they are, what they want from their business, and why is what kind of defines a successful exit? Because they understand all this. Yeah. They sell, which is hence the name of the podcast, "Life After Business." Is like, how have you? Has it been easy, hard? What have What have you done that has helped you as you're, you know, watching your kind of baby drift off, and you're trying to like read yeah. yourself. Yeah, it's
1: an interesting process. So the one of my friends who has. Bought and started and sold a number of businesses. I talked to him right before the close, like the night before the closing, and he said, "We closed on November 30th." And he said, "Listen, you know, congratulations, and take the month of December off. Nobody does any work in December anyway. Get your head around January, and um, just realize that it's going to take you six months to realize that you actually sold your business." And he was exactly right because it was about six months later that somebody quit, and I was like, "Huh." Somebody quit. All right. And that used to drive me crazy if we lost key people. But I was like, hmm, not my problem. And that's when I realized that I had crossed over. It took a good six months or more. And I stayed in the office six months after that. The good thing is that I really, I did not have a vision of my next step professionally, you know, at the time that I sold. But I did have a vision of my next step personally. And that helped me a lot. So I had met Bill, and, and he's my husband's and we got married the same year that I sold my business. We got married in April. I sold my business in November. So literally from about the time we got married, we were already starting, you know, conversations about the acquisition. And so the timing was just unbelievable. So he is in the PGA. He's a teaching pro and, you know, he has goals and visions of playing more and more uh, nationally and internationally and making tour events and that kind of thing. And, and, I, and golf had become a very important hobby to me even before he and I started dating. So I really just had this yearning to spend more time there. And so even though, you know, it's not my paid job, I do spend a lot of time helping my husband in his career. We get to travel a lot. So that was the carrot that was out there for me. Um, is that I could have more control of my personal time. I could spend time building something with my husband. And, uh, you know, I knew I wanted to write more, which is um, what I've just really started spending time on just in the last few months. Um, so that's the, the short stories that are on my website are the product and that. They are hopefully helpful business and life lessons that I've learned through the years. And then I'm working on this book. So you really can't do that while you're running a business either, mm-hmm. you know. So I felt like I was being called to something else, although it, it, the big something else isn't specific to me. It wasn't specific then. So it was really a leap of faith on that part because I am a busy person. I like to be busy. I like to work. And um, and I don't feel like I'm finished, but I don't know what the next big thing is except for writing.
0: It's uh, it's interesting, Hannah, because um, there was this woman that I interviewed that had a very successful company and – um. She said, because she similar stories. And um, she goes, I miss capitalism as managing and seeing a balance sheet and my reward of how I did it. <laughs> and so, yeah. you know, there's this, this level of, you know, whether it's the, 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 the feedback that you get, because I think, are we familiar with the, the uh, state of flow at all? There's this, oh, yeah.
2: Mm-hmm. yeah.
0: so I think that entrepreneurs live in the state of flow, like 95% of the time, which makes it addic- addicting because you're getting immediate feedback on how you are doing. You're constantly pressing your personal challenges and you're growing constantly. And to get that feeling outside of business is very difficult. And I don't know if,
1: difficult.
0: you know, if there's a way that, you know, if, if the writing or if, if it's just something where you're kind of leaving that open for, you know, new, interesting opportunities that come by.
1: Yeah. I mean, I, you know, if I had another idea, I'm not a serial entrepreneur, by the way, I only started, I only had one idea. (laughs) I started that business with one idea. That's the the idea was the same in, but when I ended it, you know, it was when I started it it sort of, it did expand, but you know what I mean? It was the same basic idea and um, I don't have another idea yet. If I did, I would do it. I, you know, if there is another opportunity, you know, I'm, I probably would, but I don't have it. So we'll tell you that the thing that does give you that state of flow outside of business is golf. And it's, and it, I'm sure there are other hobbies, um, other pastimes that can give you that same thing. But there's a, for me, there's a real sense of accomplishment, you know, in um, seeing your game improve and committing yourself to that. And You know, it does not have any money attached to it for me, except outgoing money, like money. It cost me money. (laughs) I don't make any money on it. (laughs) Uh,
0: That's another thing to get used to, right? Is not having a stream of income all the time.
1: (laughs) Yeah, that's something to get used to. It really is.
0: If you were, you know, as we're wrapping up here, Hannah, if you were to go back to yourself and you're, when you had mentioned that you're, if six to eight years prior, you know, you would have gone through some work. If you're talking to yourself six to eight years before you kind of got burnt out, what, what advice would you give yourself?
1: Oh, yeah, that's good. Good uh, good question. So the first one would be to find your number two person, really find somebody who wants to take the business, who wants to become the new owner of the business or the new CEO to so find your number two. I did not have my number two. And the second one would be to take more time off from the business. Uh, like, I really yearned in the last two or three years that I was there, I yearned for a sabbatical, uh, like a good serious, like three to six month sabbatical so that I could get re-energized for the business so that I could spend some time, you know, researching some things, resting, but also looking for the next um, opportunity to keep the business interesting for myself. Mm -hmm. And that's the... Kind of one of the other things is that you have to find a way to keep that business interesting for yourself or eventually you won't do the right thing for the business. I think that, you know, understanding that, understanding now that I am not my business, my business is not my life. I wish that I had put more time into developing hobbies earlier that would have rounded me out a little bit and that might have helped with the burnout too, you know. Another thing that I see in young entrepreneurs is That they have this guilt complex for treating around treating themselves differently than they treat their staff, so they feel like they have to work the same hours, the same level of accountability, and and not claim the um, not claim kind of the ground that they really that they really are standing on, you know, which is they're the top. And so there's this there's this just constant struggle. With asking for the amount of help and building an organization that supports them, is just a constant struggle with it. There's guilt associated with it. And I maintain that if the CEO, CEO loses confidence in the business, it's over. I mean, CEO confidence is the most important thing to keeping a team together, to closing business, to getting the partners that you need, to getting the financing that you need. It's the single most important thing is the confidence of the CEO. When you lose that confidence because you burned out, because you don't have a balanced life, because you don't have the right number two in your company, because you haven't put the support around yourself to keep you engaged and and excited, then you will lose confidence.
0: You, I mean, so well said, Hannah. And like, I think about like what I went through, because like over the course of my, you know, period there it was like we were selling we we're not selling, we we're selling we we're not selling and i was like the number two run and everything and then like it's a mind you know whiplash and if you're not passionate about mm-hmm. it because of all the hoorah you have to do to get through all the, the shit like if you don't mm-hmm. have passion then you can't get through it it's like physically impossible <laughs> It's like, yeah yeah I, I mean the
1: place could burn down behind you and you would throw a bucket of water on it
0: you know <laughs> yeah that's uh, that, that's a quote for i yep i love it <laughs> if uh if the listeners, you know, <laughs> i like it <laughs> i it's, it's so true uh if our listeners want to get more uh information about you uh your upcoming book um, the the tidbits of the life lessons you said what what's the best way to get in touch with you
1: yeah i would love it um hannah dot com it's h a n n a h p a r a m o r e dot com I'm also on LinkedIn because I'm easy to find. I'm on Facebook. I'm on Instagram. So I'm super easy to find. And I would love for people to read uh, the things that I've written. I would love comments. I'm literally, genuinely looking for comments that will help make the writing better. I'm not looking for people to flatter me. I have plenty of people to flatter me. My husband is wonderful at that. (laughs) That's awesome. You know, I want the truth.
0: Yeah. And you, and people should read it because the more that people digest stuff like this is the better. So Hannah, it's been an absolute blast having you on the show. Thank you so much for sharing your story.
1: Thank you for inviting me. It was fun to talk to you. Makes me want to go back to work.
0: <laughs> Careful what you wish for.
1: <laughs> I know, For sure.
0: can't tell you how awesome it was that Hannah was willing to share all that stuff with us because it's emotional and the fact that she was able to just put it all out there because I know we all deal with it as entrepreneurs and I remember what it was like trying to go in and be the cheerleader when internally, you're just getting eaten alive. And that's why I think so many entrepreneurs leave so much money on the table because that becomes so suffocating that you have to figure out a way to get out. And at that point, it's too late. So I highly recommend check out our boot bootcamp. It's on the five principles. It's two and a half days that teaches you what do you want? What is your target valuation? How much are you going to make net? Total crash course on business valuations, analyzing private equity versus third party versus family transition versus ESOPs, understanding how to maximize your net proceeds and to increase the value of your company and how to hire the right team of advisors. So that way you can optimize the deal structure, the wealth structure, the finance, the the legal, everything that gets you what you want. So when you do this, it's literally liberating because you can just go off and have as much fun as you want. And the moment that you want to be done, you just pull the trigger and you're out. So Check it out. It's on arcona.io and go to boot camps. We've got a bunch coming up here in Minnesota and Dayton. If you have questions on the three-day agenda, reach out to me and happy to have a quick conversation and walk you through the different agenda and then explain how it can impact you and your journey.